Salam and welcome to Season 3 of In Conversation, in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. In our first episode, Ismail Patel is in conversation with Sylviane Gayout on enslaved Muslims in the Americas. Today I have a guest who, whose work has been focused on the Atlantic slavery, but her work is not like other. She has looked to explore and expose details most academics only provide a cursory attention to, or even most likely disregard. She has an eye for details, and that has made her an award-winning historian of African descendants. She is a visiting scholar at Brown University, Center for the Study of Slavery and Justice, a curator, and she is an author. And two books are of great interest for us here. Slavery's Exile, the story of the American Maroons, and the second one, Servants African Muslims enslaved in the Americas. I'm honored to be in conversation with Dr. Silviana Dioff. So welcome and thank you, Dr. Silviana Dioff, for joining us. And good morning. Good morning and thank you. Well, let's uh, start our conversation uh, by talking a little bit about yourselves. Maybe you'd like to fill us in with your uh, intellectual journey that have brought you towards studying the enslaved people in the Americas and particularly the Muslim community. Well, you know, I, um, I grew up in France. Uh, my father was, uh, was from Senegal and my mother um, is French. And I grew up pretty, um, you know, in an environment that, I mean, I didn't know anything about racism. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I saw on TV what was going on in the United States, you know, in the 60s, you know, those, those um, horrible, this horrible violence against African-Americans, um, you know, who were, um, were demanding uh, civil rights. And I was, I was very young and I was also very shocked. And I didn't understand what, you know, what, what was going on there. And so little by little, you know, I tried to, in, you know, to inform myself and I discovered, and really it, it was a discovery, I discovered slavery because I had never heard of that, you know, as I was growing up um, in France, I was not part, you know, of the curriculum, there was nothing. And sure. so that, you know, I, I found that extremely um, um, distressful as, as, and interesting as well. And so, you know, when I went to university, that's what I, I studied and I did my, my dissertation on uh, resistance um, to uh, slavery and the slave trade. And as I was, you know, I read, you know, hundreds, you know, thousands of books um, on slavery and the slave trade. And um, I never found, you know, I never found Muslims there. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my father um, was from Senegal. He was Muslim. Was he a Muslim then? Pardon me? Was your, one of your parents Muslim? Yes, my father. Um, okay. My father was Muslim and he was actually, you know, from a, a family... Um, who had been Muslims for who had been Muslim for century? Actually, one of our um, ancestors founded uh, one of the largest and oldest um, um, uh, Islamic university in Senegal. Uh, that was fifteen or three, and um, uh, you know, whenever I mean, I knew that there would have been Muslims among the people who were. Uh, the victims of the transatlantic slave trade, because you know they came, many of them came from regions where Islam was um, was um, uh, um, implanted, um, but they didn't see anything. So I said, okay, so let me try and understand uh, who they were uh, and what happened to them once you know they arrived in the Americas, and um, so that what um, gave birth to my book, Servants of Allah, which was first published in uh, 1998. Okay, so do you, would you say that, uh, obviously looking at slavery for somebody from Europe at that stage would have been sort of to be a, a pariah academic anyway, 
But then to look at Muslims, uh, was, was it because of your dad or something else triggered you to look into the you know, potential? Yes, I mean, I, <clears throat> I was very intrigued by, you know, this, um, by the fact that um, people who arrived in the Americas, you know, it, it seemed like they had disappeared and that, uh, you know, if, if there was any mention of them, it was really about this, this thing that, you know, when they discovered the real religion, uh, they converted and that was the end of it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've always been very interested in people's story. Um, okay. I'm a, you know, I'm a social historian. And um, mm. so what interests me is how people lived, how they you know, what they did, not what was done to them mostly, but what yeah. they did in the circumstances, in the terrible circumstances that um, they found themselves in. And, um, and th this was really, a, you know, uh, a topic that was, not, that was not covered. When I started my research, um, you know, there was, there was one book, which was a source book, um, uh, Uh, about some uh, unsafe Muslims in the United States and in um, Jamaica, I think. It was just text. You know, there was no nothing uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, explaining, of, uh, et cetera. And then there was one biography of an, Afri um, of an African Muslim. And um, to me, that was interesting. But the thing is that You could say, well, you know, those were a few exceptional people. Yes. Um, and what I was interested in was, you know, a larger view about families, about communities. And for that, I needed, in my view, to look at the continent. I mean, at the Western Hemisphere. So not only the United States, but uh, the entire, you know, um, the Caribbean Uh, yeah. South America to see who those Muslims were and what they were doing and how they they or not uh, continue to follow their 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 religion. Sure. So you've had to do a lot of digging. I mean, you've you've made it very clear there. But just to so, something on the side, would you say that more accounts? Uh, of the enslaved people have been left by Muslims than any other community that were enslaved? Absolutely, because you know, the, the thing of course is that a lot of, of those Muslims had been to school, you know, uh, you know, they could read and write, and uh, you know, some had been, you know, to, uh, you know, to really higher studies. And mm -hmm. so they, they have left manuscripts. And, um, you know, what, what I, You know, the, what I did, you know, when I was uh, doing my uh, uh, research, I looked into uh, French, Spanish, Portuguese, and um, uh, English sources. Um, okay. And, but there were also, yes, I mean, it, you know, that, that was, you know, the good thing, you know, when, when you speak French uh, mm. and Italian, as I do, and I studied Latin, so... Spanish and Portuguese were kind of easy. Um, but, you know, the, the, so that's one thing. But there were also manuscripts in Arabic, which I do not um, <laughs> either speak or read. And there were also, they also left um, some documents, some, uh, some manuscripts in, um, in Ajami. So their own languages, you know, in the, in the Arabic script. That's That is very interesting because we can understand them writing in sort of Spanish and Portuguese and other languages to transmit information amongst themselves. But once they, the slaves started writing in their native language, where they came from, or Arabic, meant that they were trying to preserve some information for maybe a future generation. Would you say that's a right reading on that? So actually, they did not, they did not write in, you know, in in European languages. Um, th those, the sources that I, I mentioned were actually all, you know, written by 
by uh, uh, travelers, by journalists, by uh, intellectuals, by slaveholders, etc. And what is interesting also, and that is the case, you know, um, which is, you know, when you write about people who are enslaved and who actually um, uh, were not able to write themselves, then you have to use, you know, the kind of um, uh, European or um, white American sources, and you have to always kind of, you know, um, read against the grain, you know, read, be, you know, between the lines. Um, so that was one thing. But for the Muslim themselves, you know, they did write, you know, in Arabic or in, uh, or in Hausa. Um, and so they were writing for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for their, for their community. And what we see in several of those uh, manuscripts, you know, which, has, which have been trans, uh, uh, translated uh, since, is really this, uh, for example, you know, I have this, um, this man, um, uh, Kaba in uh, Jamaica, who um, wrote uh, like a 50-page manuscript. And, okay. um, you know, it's all about preserving Islam. It's all about uh, 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 different uh, uh, rights. Uh, you know, how people, you know, write about marriage and, and how to preserve but, the Are community. you talking about the man? But, yes, yes, yes. And yeah. so... Are you talking about Talo? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there was also uh, a manuscript that, he, that was written uh, in, in the United States in Georgia in the 1850s. And, you know, again, which has been preserved. Um, and it's part of a text. It's part of a 1200 text by sure. you know and you know it, it's about ablutions it's about prayer etc and there's a whole corpus actually mm-hmm. um of manuscripts written by muslims that exist um in 18 january 1835 there was a large uh muslim uprising in 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 bahia in uh, brazil mm-hmm. And there are plenty of documents that have been preserved, and there was plan for revolt, and there were um, there were you know communication you know between the insurgents. So it's it's very very rich, and it's really the only cases of um, of writing by enslaved people in the Americas um, at the moment that they were still enslaved. Um, Would you say, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but would you say the uprising that you mentioned in Bahia in in Brazil, would you say that's an exception or would you say the Muslims uh, put forward a greater resistance, the Muslim slaves put up a greater resistance to to slavery than others, other African slaves? So it's really interesting because okay let me first mention you know about numbers because okay so the transatlantic slave trade deported about 12 and a half million africans Um, about 10 million seven hundred thousand arrived in the americas because you know about two and a half million died during the voyage um the estimates of the muslims in this um um, among the Africans is, you know, it's very hard to determine. We know yeah. that there were hundreds of thousands. Um, the, one of the estimates is, is, is about 7 is, is about 7%, so that's still 900,000 mm-hmm. uh, um, Muslims. And what we see, for example, um, in um, you know, there's a database of thirty thousand voyages um, um, of the slave trade, and what we see there is that Senegambians. So we're talking about people, you know, in Senegal, Gambia, and you know, kind of uh, part of Mali, etc. Mm-hmm. They had, they were not, um, they were not that. New, new, uh, numerous as compared, for example, from people from Congo, but the 
they had the highest rate of resistance and revolt on um, uh, on the slave ships and mm -hmm. on the coast as well. And particularly, we see that um, in the 1770s, um, that was the highest um, uh, percentage of revolt. And, mm -hmm. and that was also the time of um, of the Islamic movements there, and um, you know, it, and we had people who had fought for their for their religion and who found themselves enslaved, you know, because they had been made prisoners, and so there's you know this uh, question um, of uh, uh, the fact also is that because Muslims cannot be enslaved, if you will, you know, there's this prohibition mm -hmm. of enslaving uh, Muslims within the religion. So that was probably also one, one thing, you know, to be enslaved and be, being enslaved by Christians on top of it. So we had- Being, uh, sorry, can you clarify that? You mean being educated or? No, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, that when you're a Muslim, you know, you, you know, you cannot be, you should not be enslaved, right? Yes. A free Muslim should not be uh, enslaved. So that was one thing. So the idea of freedom existed and percolated amongst Muslims and they understood the difference between us being slaved and enslaved. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, and the fact that they now were, uh, prisoners and where would be enslaved by Christians, mm -hmm. that may have been an added uh, reason, if you will, for um, for revolting. Yeah, because being being most, as you mentioned earlier, these people were learned, so they must have known about. They have, they have yes, understand these other faiths, so this, so they, they yes they, yes 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 because when you know when you look at the, you know, some, for example, once, you know, they were in the, uh, in the Americas, they mentioned, you know, that, uh, you know, that they had read um, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those, you know, books that had been translated into Arabic. And sure. um, white people in several um, languages in, uh, um, uh, in, um, in Africa, they were called. They were called um, actually Nazara, which is you know people from Nazareth. You know, yes, you know, Nazareans. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So, um, and in, in um, interestingly, also for example, uh, Omar Ibsaid was uh, a Muslim from Senegal who was deported to North Carolina and who, who left a, a large number of um, manuscripts. Um, he said, you know, he, I mean, he wrote in his, you know, uh, I was made a prisoner by Christians. I arrived, you know, in a Christian country. Um, uh, I did not speak Christian. I mean, you see, so, yes. yeah. One thing that comes to mind then, how did this uh, uh, Muslim slaves manage to write manuscript under slavery. Yes, so this is really very, very um, interesting because first of all, they had to have, pap they had to have paper. And, yes. Uh, so they had to buy paper. And I also assume, sorry to interrupt you, but I also assume if you not take that question on board as well, that they must have been banned to write because the whole idea of slaved people was they were barbarians and therefore it was worth enslaving them. Absolutely, absolutely. And so this, you know, this is a very um, interesting point because uh, writing was not allowed. And, mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, they had to procure paper, they had to procure ink. Um, mm -hmm. And so they, they were, you know, kind of, for some, actually, what they did was that they, um, ingrained themselves, you know, to the slaveholders um, mm -hmm. who thought, well, you know, uh, you know, this particular person seems to be educated. 
and they gave them paper. For example, um, in uh, Jamaica, the missionaries, uh, mm -hmm. as well as in, in other uh, uh, places, would give them paper uh, yeah. because some of the Muslims uh, were forced to, uh, to convert, actually converted, you know, uh, kind of uh, because they had to, but they continued, you know, to be Muslims. And when, so when, they were showing that they had converted, but they were still practicing Islam. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what they did was they, uh, by, by this pseudo conversion, they gained mm. access to paper, for example, okay. um, to, um, you know, and they continued with that paper to actually write about Islam. Um, others, for example, there's also a very interesting case, very, very interesting, very um, uh, strange of, mm -hmm. um, of a man uh, in Georgia, in the Sea Island, in a very isolated place. And he wrote this 13-page manuscript, you know, um, uh, um, and the paper actually came, was actually manufactured in Italy, <laughs> for the North African market. Okay. And we, you know, and this, um, uh, this manuscript still, you know, still uh, exists. Okay. Uh, and there is this question, where, how could he get that paper? Um, so it's America. One other thing. Um, and, you know, in uh, Brazil, um, the Muslims, were very organized. Um, they had uh, they had asked actually a French bookseller mm -hmm. to um, to uh, import uh, to import Korans and gra and grammar books, and they bought those those Korans. They bought paper, etc. from from the. From what, sorry, how do you think they bought this? If they had managed to get this across, I mean, what kind of, obviously they didn't have currency. Uh, so how did they barter that to, to, to get Quran in exchange for what? See, uh, for example, in, in uh, Brazil, um, the people who, who uh, worked in, <clears throat> in the cities, mm -hmm. what happened with them is that in many cases, they would work as as porters, uh, for okay. example, and um, or, uh, make food, uh, etc. And they would be paid, and the money was part of the money was given to their to to their owners, and they would keep a part for for them themselves. And it is with okay. that money that they would buy. And the um, uh, they were said actually to to uh, pay the Korans and the books. Um, by installments, oh. and yes, and it must um, be a very high price then. Yes, relative income, it would take them, you know, sometimes a full year, you know, to be able to actually, uh, you know, pay the, those uh, those uh, books. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, they were so well organized that they had Quranic schools, madrasas. Um, underground, you know, I mean, you know, and those, everything was discovered uh, in 1835, you know, uh, after that, that uprising failed. Mm -hmm. And so in Brazil, there's a large, uh, a large number of manuscripts written. Um, and it's, you know, some of them, it's really um, uh, kind of poignant, poignant. If you will, you know, you have um, papers were found, you know, in those schools, in those secret schools, you know, of um, children or even adults, you know, starting to write Arabic. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Know, it's, so, yeah. So that the commitment, obviously, just to, to preserve uh, their, their faith was phenomenal. Uh, uh, in, in text, which we end up, do we have any evidence of their practicality, like, you know, salah, zakat, sadaqah, you know, these principles which yes. are central to Islam. Do we have Absolutely. anything like that? 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, for, you know, um, uh, you know, I'll just take, you know, one example in the United States. Um, again, um, you know, in the sea islands of uh, Georgia and South Carolina, you had people in um, uh, former slaves who were uh, interviewed in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And uh, they described how their grandparents were praying. You know, they were yeah. praying three times a day. Um, and, you know, uh, they were, and they, they explained how, you know, they were doing that. They also um, talked about the fact, you know, that they had, that they had prayer beads. Okay. Um, they mentioned that uh, uh, women were um, um, clothes on their head, but it was not the same cloth as the others. You know, they, they, it was done to their shoulders. They uh, also um, um, uh, 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 mentioned that several men had white cloth around their heads, you know, tur- okay. turbans. And there were also slave, slave holders who mentioned that their, um, the, uh, the Muslims were, were, uh, were praying. So there's plenty of, um, of uh, documentation on that. Um, and one of the things also that I uh, mentioned in, in the book, which was to me was really extraordinary, um, uh, people remembered that their grandmothers um, gave them rice balls mm-hmm. and they called them and they called them Saraka. Mm-hmm. And so people thought that Saraka was kind of an African quote unquote <laughs> word, you know, meaning rice ball. And I explained, you know, in the no, 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 it's a Saraka. It's, you know, and that is the kind of char- charity that right. women in West Africa, you know, give to the children. Um, and actually, what is interesting also is that the same word. Saraka or Sarah, uh, uh, etc., is found not only in you know in the United States but in the Caribbean as well as well as in Brazil, and up to today, uh, some you know people continue to give you know to um, to give charity but not understanding where it comes from. Okay. And uh, you know, for example, I remember I was in Trinidad. Uh, a few years ago, and I was mentioning that, and a, wom- a woman came to me and she said, "Well, um, I gave Saraka last week because my mother is sick, and you know mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, and you know they are Christians, mm-hmm. uh, they don't, you know, but they, yes. you know, that has continued." And um, talking about women, how much role do you think the women, uh, Muslim women, played in? preserving the culture. So oh, it's, you know, we, it's difficult to, to know. The thing mm-hmm. is that there were few Muslim women. Okay. Um, and um, because, uh, you know, so we, we, we have, and it's, you know, it's, it's always kind of the same story. We have testimonies, we have a lot of things by men or about men, but very few about women whether they were Muslims or not. So one of the things, you know, that I, that I mentioned is this whole, this whole Saraka thing. Um, um, and uh, we don't have much about women. Uh, for example, I, so far we haven't f- found um, any writing mm-hmm. by women, you know, of, of that sort of thing. Sure. Sure. Let me sort of move the conversation and now it's slightly in different direction, I suppose, into more uh, political arena, where, uh, of course, slavery, there, there are arguments by those apologetics, I suppose, in, in one sense, to say that, you know what, there used to be slavery in Africa, uh, Arabs used to enslave people. So what's the difference in Americans or the Europeans carrying out slavery? What would you say to that? Well, first of all, just in terms of the magnitude, uh, you know, uh, the transatlantic slave trade was 
larger than any other, all the other slave trades combined. So that's one thing. And, you know, there is no, um, uh, you know, to be taken, kidnapped or, or sold, you know, from, I mean, it's, it's the same horror everywhere. There's no question about that. So this is, you know, there's no, um, you know, we shouldn't even be, um, you know, trying to see one was better, was worse than the other. Just the fact of being taken out of your family and your surroundings and your community, etc., and being sent to another country. Uh, that is the same everywhere. What is different, though, is what happened after. It's the, the kind of slave system that exists. And um, when we look, for example, at um, just one, you know, um, the, the Indian Ocean, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, slave trade, we see things very different. Um, the, for example, um, uh, East Africans, uh, you know, from uh, Ethiopia down to, you know, um, uh, Somalia, etc., who were sent, for example, to India, you know, which is, you know, I'm talking about that because I also, uh, you know, wrote about that and I did, sure. and I made a, uh, an exhibition about Africans in India. So the possibility in the Islamic world uh, in general, um, actually, is that, yes, people were enslaved, but um, in, many, in many cases, the enslavement didn't last their whole life because um, uh, freeing a I mean, the life of, is, of to clarify that, individuals were you know, enslaved, they, they could buy their freedom. They could, and uh, freeing a slave is an act, uh, is, was considered an act of pity, um, of, mm -hmm. of uh, piety. So uh, people, in many cases, did not, you know, um, live their whole life there. And, you know, there were occupations that were actually kind of prestigious, uh, like, um, like being guards, you know, uh, 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 of the Kaaba, um, being uh, soldiers. Um, in, and we see that, yes. for example, very clearly in, uh, in India, where uh, East Africans uh, reached uh, position that were that were impossible to even imagine uh, in the West. Uh, you know, some became um, um, architects and prime ministers and rulers, uh, traders, etc., etc. So, just uh, expand on that a bit. Uh, the story of Malik ibn Ambar, uh, the ruler yes. of Ahmednagar. Yes. So um, uh, uh, Malik Ambar was, you know, uh, was taken um, uh, enslaved when he was still a, a boy. He was sent to different countries. Uh, he was also taught how to read and write. Um, and then he arrived in, in, um, in India, uh, about 1570, I think. And, um, you know, he yes. became, uh, you know, he was a soldier, he became a general, I mean, he, he had, and he became the de facto ruler <clears throat> of, of Amdaga, you know, in, in the, in the, and there were others, you know, like him in, in Bijapur, you know, the whole Deccan was really kind of, um, um, <clears throat> there were a lot of those uh, African Muslims, and um, you know, with very very high positions, and he, he, uh, 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 actually, Manikamba uh, uh, was really the de facto ruler, and he was the the fiercest enemy of the of the Mughal, of the Mughal. and um, yeah. and he was not the only one. <clears throat> you know, there were other. <clears throat> um, so these are not there exceptions. Not, we are not no, talking about not exceptions at all. And there were even um, uh, uh, rulers, you know, uh, who were who founded princely states, 
and you know, so, so those sure. were independent states ruled by Africans, uh, and you know, so those things were absolutely. I mean, it was just totally impossible in the West. Um, sure. Let me bring you back to the West. Uh, let me bring you back to the West because, of course, we've got uh, limited time and we'd like to have you for a much longer time, but let's see what we can do. Going back to the Americas, how do you think, despite uh, the great tenacity of the Muslims to uphold their faith, try and, under the sort of slavery, manage their practices and leave behind manuscript, how do you think Islam dwindled or Muslims practicing in America? What was different yes. there? So what happened is that, you know, everywhere they were, they were a small minority. And, um, and it was sure. very difficult and for them to actually pass on the religion to their children. So that's one, that's one, that was one of the things. Also because, um, uh, again, you know, there were a lot of men, a lot of Muslim men and Muslim women, mm -hmm. and in the you know in 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 the West, the separation of families was, you know, you you sold the the father here, you sold the mother there, the children, etc. etc. It was more difficult, if you will, to uh, to pass on the religion to to the children. And then we see even in Brazil, you know, where the, the, where the, Muslim, com the Muslim communities were very, very well organized and very strong, what they were saying, you know, by the end of the 19th century is that the children mm -hmm. wanted, you know, and it's kind of the same thing today, if you will, uh, the children wanted to conform, you know, to the rest of, you know, of their of their peers and you know most mm -hmm. people at the time you know were christians um and uh so the, that's what the children kind of wanted you know to identify with with the other uh with the other young people and there were also the 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 parents were also saying well you know um you know they want to have fun um, they were conscious, if you will, that the religion was kind of austere um, and mm -hmm. that the Catholics had fun, you know, they were singing, they were, you know, dancing, you know, um, there were all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of festivities and the young people were attracted to that. And so that was one of the reasons, you know, the difficulty to pass on the religion to, uh, to the generations. And so both the, the difficulty, as you mentioned, sorry, the, both the difficulty to pass on and as well as the environment did not make it conducive for them exactly. to be able to practice their faith. And I suppose, I suppose adding to that was also the stigma of being a Muslim would have been quite dangerous to, to declare themselves to be Muslims in, in a as being enslaved as well by mainly Christian or yes, because you know there community. was always this this push of of uh, of Christianization of the people who were, who were yeah. enslaved. Uh, and for example, for the for the United States, it's really uh, after emancipation in 1865 that um, you know that there was this this move this movement to really Christianize people. And um, at that point, you know, the fact was that uh, when the slave trade uh, ended and it ended in the United States legally in 1808, <clears throat> um, you know, so Muslims stopped getting into the Americas. Uh, the slave trade lasted much longer, you know, in Brazil and uh, Cuba, but still. So it was really yeah. practiced by the Africans themselves, but very little and, uh, and then not at all by their children or their grandchildren. Excellent. Let's, you know, as much as uh, Africans are not considered part of America, uh, the other half of that is that Islam is not considered part of Africa. Uh, how how do you what what is your well, reading of that? For me, is that you know um, Islam has been let's say in uh, West Africa f for over a thousand years, 
um, and it's been spread. I think that people have this idea that um, Islam um, was imposed by the sword <laughs> on Africans, which is far from reality. Uh, it's it was it's spread, uh, you know, uh, as I said about uh, you know a thousand years ago, um, and it was spread by local people, by local traders and um, and uh, clerics, um, and people had been had been in contact in in West Africa with Islam uh, earlier um, through people through Arabs and and Berbers. Um, and it spread slowly, and, and then, yeah. um, and the thing is that it, you know, it 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 did not. So it was. Um, I think that wherever Islam went, uh, there were sure. religions before Islam, and nobody <laughs> is saying that Islam is uh, was in, you know um, is not an Asian religion today. Um, you know, before Islam came to Afghanistan or Pakistan or India, you know, there were, you know, religions there that people had. Uh, and it's sure. always, you know, about Africa that people are, you know, saying, well, you know, it's, it's, it, it came from outside. And I think it's kind of condescension that uh, you, know, you think that people, uh, that Africans were so, uh, I don't know, so... Uh, also, I think most probably Islam came to Africa before it ever went exactly. to India. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you think there is an element here of trying to divide and categorize Islam to a certain segment so that there is a better way of controlling or at least writing a discourse about them? Um, yes. I, and, you know, I think that um, it's... it's uh, how could I say? I think that you know, in in terms of uh, of Africans, it's you know, it's uh, what I what I perceive is really this uh, uh, you know trying to um, uh, and we saw that with uh, Muslims uh, with enslaved Muslims as well. So there's yeah. this, this thing of of thinking that Africans are not smart enough. I'm not, you know, mentally uh, competent enough to, um, you know, to understand what, you know, what they're doing, and that and to have made a free choice, really, exactly. isn't it? Sorry, exactly. So it's always that things have been imposed on them, uh, whether it's Islam or it's Christianity or it's what whatever, and that they are not, uh, you know, smart smart enough to make their own choice. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, you know. I mean, I think we can talk about a lot, but I want to bring you back to sort of more modern day and try and connect, if we can, the past with, with the present. And in your book, you mentioned uh, Bilal, and you think that that name has been corrupted to Bailey. Uh, can we draw sort of any significance of Bilal to the new, to the new world, and in particularly the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, actually, what happened with Bilal is that, um, that a man whose name was Bilali Mohammed, who actually left a manuscript, um, his, uh, his uh, children and, you know, um, I mean, his grand grandchildren, etc. you know, changed the name uh, later to Bailey. And the family, the Bailey family still, you know, is still there today. And they know who their, you know, for father uh, was. And... Um, Bilal, you know, it's interesting because, you know, for many uh, African-American converts to Islam, um, Bilal was really, a, a, you know, has always been a figure that has been very key, um, you know, to their conversion, you know, a, a very important uh, figure uh, in part of the reasons, you know, why they con converted. And um, so I, I don't know, I'm not sure if I can make, you know, um, if I can make a, a, a link to uh, the movements today, um, but it's, it is, uh, it, you know, Bilal has been a very, a symbol of a resistance. Very, 
yes, uh, uh, symbol and you know of the um, uh, how a, you know a black man um, was mm. was enslaved. So you know we you know they see the the parallel with their own history, but that black man was um, was freed and became you know a very important figure. In Islam and is and is uh, respected uh, throughout the the Islamic world, um, and so you know that's a very appealing uh, image and a very um, um, appealing thing, you know, for people whose um, whose uh, uh, forefathers and foremothers have been enslaved and never got out of enslavement. Uh, and were never figures um, as you know important figures in a world religion. So I think that you know for a lot of um, of um, African American uh, African Americans uh, that is a powerful uh, symbol. Just one thing about this terminology. Why is it that we, especially the African Americans, are willing to accept that title or that that terminology, but we do not receive, uh, refer to the white people as European Americans? Do you think there's an element there that requires us to decolonize from t- Western terminology? So the, you know the names of uh, African Americans, you know, the name that uh, refer to them or that they refer to themselves. You know, it's it's, it's a long con- story that is not finished. So um, uh, you know, it went from from Negro to colored to black to African American, and African American. You know, it's 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 been there for about thirty years. First yeah. years, um, and you know it was really uh, you know the post roots phenomenon where people uh, where um, people of African descent in the United States you know felt this this link to Africa you know and um, so wanted to um, to stress you know this this part of their heritage and to uh, recognize you know that. They were not just black Americans, so it was you know black is just a color, sure. and we are bigger you know than that. We you know we came from Africa, um, so that was seen as very positive. Um, today we are starting to go back, if you will, to black, black Americans. Uh, okay. Yes, and black with capitals B. Uh, you yeah. know, there's all this discussion today, and now you know the New York Times and AP and everybody is now capitalizing black, um, just like you know they're capitalizing indigenous, um, uh, etc. So, as a reference to um, to uh, a group, to a community, to people, and meaning by black meaning people of African descent. So, in Africa and in the diaspora. So- that is very, very fascinating. Very fascinating indeed. We're coming towards the end. So just got a few more questions before we wrap up. Uh, well, how's your uh, sort of research and your publications received within the academia and general public? Yes, well, you know, I, I wrote, uh, uh, for example, Servant of Allah, just, you know, I, I thought nobody's going to be interested in that. Uh, I, but I had to write it. And uh, to my surprise, um, you know, it's been an, an immense success. And, uh, you know, the reviews in, in academia were really, really extraordinary. And um, just, you know, and then when, you know, one day I saw that there was a review by, 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 by Daniel Pipes. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be awful. It's going to demolish my old book and say, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. Things. And to my utter surprise, uh, he wrote a very positive, very, very well done uh, review. It was really excellent, uh, very smart. So I thought for, <laughs> for a moment, did I do anything wrong, you know, for him <laughs> to have loved my book? So... <laughs> 
um, it was it, it was very well received the point that we had you know we did a, a 15th anniversary uh, edition in uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that I regret though is that I I wished it had been translated into French because the people we are, I'm, I'm writing about, you know, those Muslims were people, you know, from Senegal, from Guinea, from Mali, you know, yeah. which are today kind of, you know, uh, in the French, uh, uh, in the French-speaking sphere, sphere. And they are, you know, and France has the largest Muslim population in Europe. Sure. Uh, but it didn't work. And uh, I wish also that there would be an Arabic translation of the book. Well, let's hope that comes along soon. So is there any sort of new areas you're exploring or you think there's any any new projects you're working on? Well, I think that um, in terms of, you know, there's such much more to do about Muslims um, in the Americas. And for example, one of the things, um, you know, a year or two ago, maybe a year ago, uh, new manuscripts have appeared you know, letters, uh, two letters uh, from one, 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 one Senegalese who wasn't lived in the United States in, you know, in the 1730s, uh, have been found at the British Library and uh, manuscripts written by a man, Usman, in Georgia in the, in, in the 1780s have been found also. So that is important. There is also the whole work of retranslating um, the, the, the manuscript that, you know, that we have, um, you know, there's, there's still plenty of research to be done on the Muslims. Um, and uh, it's not something that I would do, but, you know, um, there's plenty of things. And right now what I'm... So that's an invitation to any of our listeners that can get in touch oh, yes. with you. Absolutely. Yes. Well, that's excellent. Uh, it has been absolutely wonderful. The time has absolutely flown by. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Sylviana Diaf. Uh, and uh, once again, uh, let's hope that we can carry on with this great work. Thank you very much. Thanks to you and to all the people who, who have listened. Okay, thank you very much. This has been another episode of In Conversation brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a rating.